it will be interesting because right now I'm writing sort of about my coming to terms with this, right? Like believing in myself worked great in a great economy. But now that we're in this economy, you know, are we all going to have to make cutbacks to the way we're living our lives? You're listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast with award-winning digital strategist, author, speaker, and personal branding expert, Francine Bellayi. Francine is on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs to position themselves as an authority in their industry, attract their ideal clients, and impact millions of people globally. Looking to redefine the life you want to live and your best life now? Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. The place to be to hear inspirational stories of thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and Francine herself with practical strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life. Make the money you deserve and lead a movement to change the world. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. I am your host, Francine Belley. We are continuing the season seven of the show where we are focusing on uncovering the money mindset and habits that prevents us from achieving what we want in life and how we can create new empowering habits. Well, today I have uh, the great pleasure to talk to Stephanie Bowsley in this series focused on money mindset and money habits to live our best lives now. Stephanie actually is a millennial who once found herself in over 250,000 student loan debt and then find her way to financial freedom. In her financial self-help book, Buy the Avocado Toast, How to Cross Student Debt, Make More Money and Live Your Best Life, she helps readers find inventive, out-of-the-box way to improve their money and self-worth while addressing the real issues causing them to self-sabotage financially. So she's going to share how she managed to get out of her debt and some of the out of the box ways to pay down debt. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. Hi, Francine. So great to be here. Thank you. Great. So thank you, you know, for being here. Tell us in your own words, what you currently do? Um, Well, that's a great question. I'm actually, I just worked my last day at my old job um, about two weeks ago. And now I am unemployed and it's the first time in my whole life since I was like 13 that I haven't had a job. So it's a pretty uncomfortable place for me and um, an interesting place to say the least. (laughs) But, But just before that, my last my last job job day job was um i was working as assistant um to the ceo of a global video game company and i typically say i work as an executive assistant Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so what would you say is your purpose in life stephanie if you have found that already (laughs) oh yeah that's uh, (laughs) that's the million dollar question right (laughs) yeah it's a million dollar million dollar question even So I, you know, I thought that my purpose in life was like storytelling. I think if you would have asked me years ago, um, and 
I, I ended up being able to, I found it very easy to write about my own personal struggles. And um, the student debt thing had been such a driving force of my life for so long. You know, it, it dictated a lot of my decisions and um, where I would work, what, what I thought I could do with my life, being that much in debt. Um, and so now I feel like my purpose is helping people to live a more um, financially secure and kind of hopeful life mm -hmm. um, and not internalize the debt and sort of the negative messaging they may feel they get either from themselves or someone else because of that debt. Mm. Um, and to just help people have the courage to look at their own financial situation honestly, mm. um, which is something that I struggled with for a long time. And I think we overlook that piece when we talk yeah. about debt payoff, right? Yes, yes, yes. We're going to talk about that, actually. As you say, you know, when people, we talk about debt, you know, we always talk about the, the, the fact itself, but not all the mindset and everything else that come with it. Yeah. Uh, and where that starts from, actually, which is, you know, the key um, that I want to explore also in this area is how we get to that mindset in the first place and how we spiraled into this thing and to become this kind of big burden in the end. So before we get there, tell me one thing that people don't know about you. Um, one, one thing people don't know about me. Um, that's so funny that you asked that because I honestly think different years of my life that you would have asked, um, I would have given you a different answer. But I think most people don't realize that I actually went to school for both business in my undergraduate education as well as art, which was my master's program. So I, I did study business as well as filmmaking. So I kind of have a little bit of both in me, you know, the business person and the creative person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, cool. So now let's come to your story. Your story, as I said earlier, started really with this $250,000 in debt. And then you moved from US to Singapore and you find a job in finance. And, um, you know, you were now in a position to pay off your debt. First of all, Tell me, how did you end up being in 250,000 debt in the first place? And then how do you find that job? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll just take you back a little, a few years. Um, so I finished graduate school and got my master's degree in 2012, um, which you may remember was still a pretty yeah. bad recession year mm -hmm. following um, the 2008 housing yep. market and so I had gone to graduate school um, in a three-year program but at the end of that you had to produce you know a thesis project mm -hmm. and so um, I basically knew I was entering a program where it was going to be three years of full-time school plus an additional up to I think two or three years matriculating which is when you pay like some school fees to use the facility, but not um, like you're paying for courses, you know? So anyhow, I did that. And, and when I finished school, 
um, in 2012, I was like, you know, over $200,000 in student debt. And every finance help book I read on getting out of debt just made me feel like I was a dumb, bad person who deserved to be punished for my horrible life choices, mm. you know? And um, the books I I read like would say, you know, never go to Starbucks again and don't spend money on anything that's an absolute necessity and get a bunch of little side jobs to earn, you know, extra money here and there. And none of that resonated with me because at the time I had so much debt and such a low income that I would have had to live that way for like over 20 years before the debt was paid off. And I was already 30 when I finished school. Mm -hmm. um, so, so basically, like, yeah, I found myself asking, how did I get in this situation, right? I feel like in America, we're told it's normal to finish college or grad school with anywhere from like 10000 to more than $100,000 of student debt. Um, but no one ever actually prepares you for what it's like when you're done with college and, you know, you realize that you owe that much money mm. and you can't really see an end to the payoff, you know? Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, so it's like, I felt like I had kind of been told that student loans were a kind of good debt, um, but they don't actually put a roof over your head. You mm. can't resell them if you don't want to use that degree. You know, you can't resell it. So <laughs> it ends up not really feeling like the good, safe mm -hmm. debt that people had kind of always told me that it was. Yes. Um, and, and also no one explained to me that like the sheer act of accumulating the debt made it actually harder for me to try to do the thing I wanted because when I was getting offered unpaid internships and stuff like that, that would have actually been a lot easier to say yes to had mm. I not now had all this debt. Mm. So I kind of found myself, um, you know, really depressed and feeling like I had lost that life, even though I had technically followed the rules or followed what I thought was this thing I had always been told about, you know, find what you like to do, work really hard in school, and then, you know, you can have a fun life with a career you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I had been kind of tricked by that. <laughs> yes, I can understand. <laughs> yeah, so mm -hmm. I found myself um, in Singapore, actually, in relation to finishing my degree, I was graduating on a producing film track mm -hmm. and I had produced some projects in Southeast Asia. Um, we started to use Singapore as a home base because it was very close to the other countries we're shooting in. And while I was in Singapore finishing my degree, I started marketing myself as an assistant just to kind of like make some extra income while I was finishing uh, my projects. And that was when I came, how I came to meet um, some American expats that had just moved from New York to Singapore and were prominent people in the finance industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was totally by chance. And and so basically like what, how that engagement started was I would just, um, 
I would babysit. I would do odd jobs for them when I was not working on my school stuff. Um, I would house it for them sometimes in the summer. And they were really flexible with my the fact that I was a student and kind of flying in and out to finish some projects all the time. And um, they were really appreciative of, of my, you know, familiarity being another American, I think. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so they gave me a chance. And then um, when I finished school, there was an opening to work as the husband's assistant. And um, they asked if I wanted to do that. And I said, yeah, because I had been back to New York and LA in the meantime to look for jobs. And like, I couldn't get a job offer more than $40,000, you know, which isn't enough to live in those cities, mm -hmm. even if you don't have student loans. Mm. Usually. So, so it just, I didn't really see um, and many other options for my life at the time. And and Singapore had a more strong economy, at least it seemed that way. And it just seemed like a more um, promising place, I guess. Mm, 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 mm. And then, so, um, so what were you doing? And then you were able then to have that kind of much money to be able to then pay off your debt. My first job out of graduate school, the very first one, I mean, I probably only made, I was probably earning like 45,000 again. Um, but I just worked really hard and I, you know, at the hedge fund, we had to get to the office, you know, usually around 6.30, 6.45 AM. And, you know, sometimes I would be at work until like as late as, you know, 11 PM or something. Um, Cause we were operating in different time zones all over mm. the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I learned that like in finance, usually people are making a base salary that's pretty good for especially coming from an arts background. And then there's like a bonus at the end of the year if the fund does really well. And I just happened to catch it at a time when our fund was doing really well for those couple of years. Um, and I basically quadrupled my salary in about four years. Mm. Um, and and I learned really about just kind of sucking it up, which I think was the lesson I had to learn at that time, um, and about humility. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I wanted to be this kind of, I was very goals-oriented and very kind of ego-driven about, you know, I want to be this but I don't want to be the broke filmmaker at the party talking about some project no one's heard of. I wanted to be the person who made the film everyone's heard of and everyone loves, you know? And so it was kind of like when I stopped focusing on those external validations and focused on just what were the basic things I wanted out of a job. Um, it became a lot easier to find that happiness. And that was kind of what kept me going even when I wasn't happy in my career and I, I still felt like I haven't made much of a dent in my student loans. Mm, 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 mm. So now you find that job in finance and then you get the money. And then uh, how did you finally say that, okay, this is now the time I made my money in finance 
And now this is the time to go back doing what I love. When was yeah. that transition? Yeah, so it, it was, um, so the job in Singapore was such that I started having to go to New York um, during the summers to work. And when I was in New York in 2016, um, I had been abroad at that point for almost nine years. And it was like a really nice summer and I just really loved being back in New York. And um, I said, you know, I think I just need to move back to the U.S. because, as you know, you know, sometimes you just want to be back in like your country. And so um, I ended up getting another sort of high level assistant job for CEO of a video game company in Los Angeles. Um, so that was actually what prompted the move back to the US. It just happened to be that I, I got another job doing a similar thing at a comp but for a really different industry and company. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when I moved I moved back. But the important thing was when I moved back, I really advocated for myself to continue to make the same money as I had made in finance. Um, you know, bonus and everything included. Um, just because I was at a different point in my life where I believed in my skills and in my own value. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to kind of continue my same way of life I had in Singapore kind of coming back and bring come back to a better career than when I left the country mm. for sure but how practically that is possible you know because obviously you know you are in singapore this is the financial heart and then now you come to new york uh how are you able to sell yourself to keep the same kind of salary <laughs> yeah yeah so it was interesting right like i was still living in singapore and i was looking for jobs in america and i was trying to get people to interview this american girl but lived like 15 hours ahead in a different time zone like you know and a lot of recruiters and stuff were kind of laughing at me when I told them what I made and I, and I was like yes and I got told you know that's um you know not what jobs pay here or like that's you know you don't understand the market here stuff like that and I always just kind of said like no I mean I'm not what I'm offering as a, as a candidate isn't for everyone, but for someone who really needs, you know, X hard work, tenacity, what have you. Um, I am the right person for you. And when I got more comfortable with that, um, just saying like, yeah, you know, this is not the price most people ask for the, the, these skills, but, um, I'm very good at what I do. And, um, yeah, and I, I just want people to know that they, sh they can make more than whatever the industry or market average rate of their job is. You know, you don't have to find a hundred people to agree on your value. You just need to find one. Mm -hmm. And if you just focus on like, yeah, you know, every time someone says no, I'm not going to take that as an internal reflection of my value as a person, but I'm just going to go, oh, you're not the right person. 
because you can't afford me, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but how, how do you get to the point where you are not tempted to say, well, you know, in America, I'm not going to find the kind of same, uh, you know, rate. Therefore, am I going to go down uh, in my rate? Did that thought came to your mind or you just knew that you have to just keep going <laughs> on the well, rate that you wanted to go? Yeah, so that is kind of what I'm going through right now, because I don't know exactly what will, you know, I work for very high net worth individuals. Um, I don't think there will be huge changes in that line of work. But um, right now, of course, we have no idea. It will be interesting because right now I'm writing sort of about my coming to terms with this, right? Like, believing in myself worked great in a great economy but now that we're in this economy you know are we all gonna have to make cutbacks to the way we're living our lives right because it just might not be possible to go back to how we were living it before mm. um but even in spite of that i would say like that once you've really faced your financial hardship the way that I had to, um, it's not as fearful, like the, the proposition of like not having a job or not knowing exactly where your next paycheck's coming from is a lot less frightening as it used to be because I know that like I do work really hard and I always find a way to pay what I owe and um i'm very committed to that you know mm. no matter what my situation is so i don't know what my life will look like a year from now it may not be like a high flying finance high net worth type situation but um i know that i'll make it work yeah yeah so yes i appreciate that you know and not uh, being at the point where you also uh, uh you know uh, you know uh, asking yourself some questions and not knowing really where you know you will be um so and it's important i think yes to just pause and really uh, also assess all those things if you are a purpose-driven entrepreneur you've got big ideas and great vision but your business perhaps doesn't reflect that which means that you are putting all this work your heart and soul into it but you are not really seeing the return because nobody really knows who you are. You are not visible to those that matter the most. It doesn't have to be that way. If you are tired to live a life with no impact and are looking to position yourself as an authority in your field, attract your ideal client and impact thousands globally, book a complimentary 30-minute mini-brand audit session with me today, at francinebelli.com slash audit. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash audit. This 30-minute call can radically change the way you see your brand and how others see it as well. I only have a handful of these free mini session each week, so book your complimentary session today at francinebelli.com slash audit. And I also wanted to, um, you know, talk about the book um, that you wrote, actually. Uh, how did you actually um, pause and say, okay, well, now is the time to write a book and then get on to write that book to share your story? Yeah, so I learned through some other, you know, personal hardships I've struggled with 
mental health on and off throughout my life and depression and um, OCD and so forth. And I learned that when I was trying to hide those things and live my life, uh, I was constantly living under the fear and shame of these things. So when I focused on them and made them the center of my life, I realized it took the power away. And when I could just talk about openly these struggles, other people felt more comfortable talking about theirs as well. So, um, so basically I was on this journey and it was a journey in several senses of the word. I was this person who grew up in rural Minnesota working for millionaires and billionaires in this high you know flying lifestyle Mm. and i myself am like so much in debt embarrassed don't want anyone to ever know how much debt i have and really wondering if i'm ever gonna be able to get back to life you know while i'm i'm paying this debt off um and so it, it was just interesting because when people would ask me to have drinks or something from work, I would say no, because I didn't, I was afraid I wouldn't have anything to talk about with them. Cause in my mind, they just lived in a totally different reality than me. Yeah. And so I said no for like the first two years I worked there. And then one night I said, yes. And, and I realized that I was the only person putting myself in a different category Mm -hmm. to them. We just were coworkers, but to me, I was the lowly, you know, this title and they were the big, you know, portfolio managers, traders or whatever. Um, And so it was an evolution of me just learning how to be comfortable with myself and not being ashamed to be Mm -hmm. around people who are more successful than me yeah um and so while I was on that journey like a lot of things were happening um I was trying to refinance my student loans all the time right because at the worst point the loans themselves were earning $1,900 a month Mm -hmm. so so just in interest alone Mm -hmm. I would earn it would gain almost $2,000 of just interest every month. So even though my minimum payment was something I could afford, it was lower than 1900. So if I just paid the minimum payment and never missed it, I would still be going more into debt than when I, you know, so, so I made that my first kind of goal. Like I just needed to figure out a way to not pay $1,900 of interest every month. Mm -hmm. Cause that's crazy. It's a, it's a financial suicide. Mm -hmm. So the answer to that was refinancing. But when I first started refinancing, my debt was so high and my income was so low, I just got rejected everywhere. And it was so hard not to be like, you know what, I'm going to wait two months and apply again. It, it Instead of being like, they don't want me, I'm a failure because mm. I'm a liability because I've made so many bad choices, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and not internalizing that message. So if, if I got rejected, I would just say, you know, I'm going to get a raise, I'm going to write you back. Mm -hmm. And I would like five, six months or 10 months later. And I just kept reapplying. And over the course of a year, I think finally, 
I was able to get my refinance and and cut my interest payments to like six hundred dollars or a month um and get out of that like hemorrhage money situation mm. so just focusing on those those small goals while allowing me to think of myself as a person who could have millionaire friends or whatever um that was really important for me to being like i can have a financially stable life too just mm-hmm. like other people even though i made these choices Mm-hmm. Yes, very, very important lessons, you know, really just keep trying, yes, and your determination just pay. And now you are completely um, um, st- uh, um, student f- uh, loan free now? No, 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 no. no. I, yeah. I, I actually still have a little under, um, I, ha- I have about 60,000 left to pay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's um, good. That's which well, is wonderful. for me, yeah. And how, ma- how many years it took you from there to now? It would have been about eight not eight and a half years. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I also took advantage of, um, you know, the fact that I lived abroad, a big point in my book is how when you're working abroad, um, you actually get a big, uh, discount on us taxes, right? So if you work, um, a hundred thousand dollar job in the U S and you live in the U S you're probably going to be paying, you know, like 20 to 30% tax Mm -hmm. when you make a hundred thousand dollars and you're American, but you make it working in a different country. Um, they give you a break on the first like 105,000. So, so that's like an extra, you know, twenty to thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars in your pocket doing of the course. same job, just in a different country. Mm. And that was sort of a happy accident I found out about in my first year I lived there. But it was a huge reason why I kept working abroad because that was like a big chunk of money for me mm. extra to put towards my debt. Mm, 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 mm. Yes, yes. V- wonderful, wonderful insights, uh, Stephanie. Wow. So, um, so now, um, can you tell me also what would you say was one of the lowest and lowest and lowest moments that you have encountered, you know, throughout all this journey of you trying to figure out this financial kind of, uh, you know, um, a freedom path, actually? Yeah, yeah. Francine, it's great. It's actually the very first it's like the dedication to my book so i wrote um, in the dedication it says dedicated to anyone who has dragged a suitcase of their belongings from secondhand store to secondhand store only to be told those possessions are worth literally nothing and um i've done this a bunch of times throughout my life as a college student as a grad student after graduate school like when you try to make a little extra money by selling your old clothes or books or whatever and i just remember dragging all this stuff down the street to one secondhand shop to another secondhand shop to try to sell it to make Mm. like 20 bucks and Mm. and have every single place just be like we don't want anything and that feeling of like you and everything you own is completely worthless is something that I felt so much throughout my life. Um, and it was such a big part of my transformation to, to get away from those personal self-worth feelings. 
Yeah, I think that this is really powerful because you, uh, I can't even picture that, you know, you dragging all those uh, suitcases from shop to shop and them saying that, you know, you're just feeling that you are worthless in everything. How do you get from there to get to a place where you don't really feel that, you know, this is, this is it. And then you find that courage to keep moving. Where did you find that courage in those moments? Yeah, I think I can't say I found the courage even in those moments because I'm pretty sure I went home and like cried or drank a bottle of wine or something. But I think what it came down to for me was um, there were a lot of things I was doing to self-sabotage financially and otherwise. And this is a big thing in finance books that I feel no one ever talks about, right? Mm -hmm. We always act like it's like losing weight, you know, just make more than you spend, you know, just eat less calories than you burn. So (laughs) easy, right? And the fact is like that if it was just a simple math problem, like everyone would be thin, everyone would have exactly how much money they need, right? So, so it's the fact that that's not the case means there's more to the story. Mm -hmm. And so I was spending a lot of money at the height of my debt. Mm -hmm. Um, I smoked cigarettes and Mm -hmm. I also drank a lot because my feelings of failure and low self-worth were totally overwhelming to me at times. And it would really annoy me when people would say, oh, just stop smoking, stop drinking, Mm -hmm. because that might, you know, look like an extra expense. But for me at the time, I thought it was the only thing helping me get through this shitty situation that was my life. So um, I, I think that we really do need to address why we are sabotaging to, to really make a dent in this issue. So, you know, just simplifying it down to like, don't spend money on this, don't spend money on that. Um, But telling the person like, hey, you deserve a better life. You know, you don't deserve to fall asleep drunk on the couch every night. You know, that's not your life. But you are going to be living that way if you don't address this issue. And so I think some of those personal issues um, are the things that people kind of gloss over or they're like, oh, I want to get out of debt, but I want to keep my two-pack-a-day smoking habit. And the reality is that that habit is not um, helping you in any way, but it's also like, I, I get it. It's something you feel you need to do. So... So for me, stopping drinking, stopping smoking were big parts of my story. Um, Even going to like 12-step groups was part of my story. Um, But really working on those issues that were keeping me broke. So even like depression, ongoing depression or anxiety, it can have financial implications because you're not like you're not really like doing your best or you're not the guy with the good ideas at work. If you're working three jobs and driving Uber and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, I think just, just being able to kind of value yourself while you're dealing with this situation, but also be honest about where your money's really going 
you know. Yes, 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 and yes. Not, not being ashamed. Like if you just have to drink every day, but you don't like doing that anymore, it's time to get some help. You know, it's time to to find a, a tool to help you deal with that so that you can go back to like living the life you want. Mm-hmm. Yes, I appreciate that. You know, really trying to uh, decipher. You know, it's not a simple strategy. If only strategy did work, we all know. Actually, we'll all know, as you say. You know, if you know, it's less. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if that was so simple, uh, that wasn't going to uh, be an issue. And uh, this is where all all kind of mindset and conditioning also come from. You know, where actually we are coming from what actually conditioning we had in the past uh, is shaping us in the way that we behave. Um, all those stories that we tell ourselves, all our limiting beliefs, those are the things that we need to tackle. Are you feeling like you are all over the place and lack direction in your life, in your career or in your business and aren't sure what you should be doing next? You need to take the five day to discover your passion challenge, to reset your priorities and reignite your life as I guide you over the five days to discover what truly lights you up so you can start living urgently doing what you truly love. You can access it right now at francinbelly.com slash passion challenge. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash passion challenge. Um, would you say that in your in your in your journey, you have to deal with those psychological, um, you know, limiting beliefs and uh, all those things to really keep moving forward? Yeah, I I think it all starts in the mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I I tend to not like books like The Secret or where it's like just think your way out of. You can that because obviously we can't just do that. But at the same time, I I think it also is important to focus on the life that you want, not just the goal itself, like getting out of debt. Because a lot of people make their whole life about getting out of debt. And then when they do it, it doesn't feel as magical or satisfying as they hoped it would. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to help people focus on the life that they want you know how many hours a day do you want to be at work how how much money do you think you need to be happy like all this kind of stuff and then finding places to invest in myself rather than just paying off the debt so for example in order to write my book i needed someone to help me um just structure it and learn more about the publishing industry. And so I actually had a writing coach. And at the time it was, people were probably like, why are you spending money on a writing coach when you could be paying off your student debt? Um, And the reason was because I needed to do some, feel like I was still doing something creative or I wasn't going to be able to work my boring day job. Right. So I invested in that because I thought it would be a meaningful pursuit for me and it ended up being something I was really proud of. So, so just by even prioritizing yourself in those little moments um, of like, I'm going to do something that develops me as a person and is ultimately going to make me happier and kind of giving yourself a path to find ways to pay for those things instead of just stripping 
all the comfort and pleasure from your life and living in an eternal cycle of punishment. Mm, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, uh, you focus on, you know, what you want to live now rather than focusing on the goal in the future where you're not sure actually if you get there, you know, if you're going to be that happy, just be happy now. <laughs> so, yes. I, so I love that. Um, so, and you also um, have like creative ways of helping people to make money. Can you share some of the tips that you know you help people how they can make money any kind of creative ways people can look at to make money you know yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. that you share some in your book so especially with right now certain people with COVID are still in quarantine and stuff like that so I had a lot of people who had been furloughed or laid off are like how do I make a side income when we can't even go outside right mm-hmm. and um I worked with a couple of different people to find things that they were interested in doing that they could possibly make money with. But um, I said, try to think of things that you know people around you miss because of the quarantine or like they can't do it anymore. So I live in Boston in the North End. A lot of our bakeries um, were open, but not like they used to be. And so one of my friends, she's a baker, um, started baking cupcakes and delivering them, you know, with contact free with a mask to people once a week, just in her network of friends and family here in the city. And because none of the other bakeries were doing delivery or whatever, um, she ended up whipping up a little side business out of that. And it, it worked out because selling things you know people need or are happy to have in like a shortage is the easiest sale in the world. So it doesn't feel like you're hitting your friends and family up for money. It feels like you're like, hey, I'm doing this cool new thing with my time. You know, do you guys like cupcakes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know another one of my readers in um, Korea, she, she was in a Pilates studio, right? And went into quarantine and so nobody could do reformer Pilates at the studio because it was closed. So she actually called around and she she found places that were going out of business and offered to find homes for their Pilates machines, you know. And then she called everyone from her studio who couldn't go in and practice and asked, do you want to buy a machine to have in your house and take a little cut of the profit from those transactions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're, it's kind of like try to really focus on something that you know people are missing. Like mm-hmm. I miss going to my Pilates class. I yeah. miss, you know, eating these nice things. Um, or even if like you cut your dog's nails, like that could be a service <laughs> you could provide or cut people's hair or clean their house because people don't want to let strangers into their house right now. So you being someone who they trust has been following quarantine and doing everything and safely, you might be the person that they're all too happy to let into your house. Um, and now you're the person saving the day by cleaning instead of like a stranger that they're going to be afraid the whole time. Um, so I think just trying to think about things that you know are a shortage or that have um, people kind of wanting in this quarantine period and, and just trying to provide 
services like that that people are going to be happy to hear about um, and not just like buy this thing, which is always awkward. Yeah, those are smart tips, actually. I think those are great tips, actually. Really, uh, you know, uh, really, sky the limit. We just, I think that we just have to, you know, exercise a bit of our imagination. And as you say, really thinking hard what people need now and uh, what can I offer and uh, look around. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we can all come up with some kind of creative ideas that we can find uh, and helping, um, you know. And as you say, you know, those are awesome, actually, tips <laughs> that you shared. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, it's all about just, you know, realizing that, hey, in this new post-coronavirus world, we might not be living the way we used to live. I might not be making the same money as I used to make. Um, so let's make sure the money I am making, I'm making by doing something I actually enjoy and feel like is true to my purpose rather than just seeing myself as a vessel for making money yeah yeah so many people have found many creative ways i know like djs for example who you know when the corona actually just came obviously a dj where does it uh, work outside yeah. in the, but actually some of the dj are making their best money ever doing online events, actually getting us onto people's Zoom and creating those kind of nice kind of reproducing those nice kind of festive type of ambience. You know, uh, people used to be like speakers. Now they do online virtual speaking. So, you know, and as you say, those uh, bakery, we can't bake anymore. Or now at least we are kind of on coming out of quarantine, but in the heat of the quarantine, if you didn't, um, you were not able to bake, you know, as you say, just do or even teach people online how to do their own favorite recipe of cupcake if physically yeah, yeah. you won't be able to deliver cupcake so a lot of chefs actually uh, you know went on youtube to actually show people how to do french baguette <laughs> you know yeah. you, everybody just uh, you know try some recipe they would never try before so you know i think sky's the limit of um, you know all those creative ways that we can find and then what will start like a small passion can become like your next business yeah. yeah, or even just a source of like being something more than just your job, exactly. right? If exactly. you're like, oh, I do this during the day, yeah. but I also, you know, I write books, I have this thing that I like doing. It just makes for a more interesting, well-rounded, yes. you know, existence. And, and that's why making money by things that I don't feel good about doing like nothing against Uber drivers, but I would be really not, you know, not happy if that was the way I spent my time, you know, eight hours a day. And so when I need extra money, that's something I'm actually not going to consider, even though, yes, I could do it. I could make money, but the whole time I'm doing it, I'm going to be talking some crap about myself. Like, I can't believe why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And it, it's not about me just getting over it and doing the work. It's about me listening to that voice and being like, no, that doesn't feel good to be doing that mm. for money at this juncture of my life. Mm -hmm. I need to do something that's more in line with who I want to be or yeah. what I want to be putting out there. Yes, yes, yes. As I will say, you know, uh, live your rich life now, regardless how much money you want to make, you are, you are making actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So super. So now let's have a quicker lighting round. I'm going to ask you a question. You give me a quick answer. Okay. Um, so if you had a laptop 
and only $100 today to start making money, what would you do? Mm. That is a great question. $100 and a laptop. $100 and a laptop. Um, you know, I would probably try to start some kind of secondhand buying and selling market for like clothes or furniture because I am such an addict with finding deals. Uh-huh. Like it's almost kind of embarrassing. And so I, I actually love nothing more when I'm shopping to feel like I got something yeah, at a lower yeah. price than what it's worth. Um, so I would probably do some kind of value based, like secondhand furniture or clothing mm. by itself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I so, know I would enjoy it because I love looking at that stuff, you know? Yeah, that, that's, that's what's fun, you know? Um, so actually when you travel, do you select your flight by the cheapest flight or by the duration? Mm. Usually I, I try to do it by the, the duration, but I, I've structured my life in a way where I, I use credit cards that get rewards on absolutely everything. So I have been able to like fly first in business class using my rewards. Um, and if it's international, you know, when I was doing the Singapore US visit the family, that was like a 23 hour trip one way so i do tend to go for the shorter and if it costs a little more money yeah but i'm gonna be enjoying the trip faster (laughs) cool and now what is financial independence or financial freedom for you financial freedom for me is just having the freedom to explore your interests and who you are as a person um to to the fullest extent, right? Because um, a lot of people don't know, you know, I feel like people fall into two categories, like people who had their school and education paid for by their parents or someone else, and people who didn't, and who had to pay for their own education. And um, yeah, I think just, just not having the lack of money be a barrier to your own interests or pursuing what you think will make you happy that's to me financial freedom mm-hmm. um, um, and how would you define what is a meaningful work and a meaningful life meaningful work and meaningful life i think it's where you can find your own personal happiness to, regardless of the sort of nuts and bolts of your life right so when i was talking about removing those uh extraneous displays of success Mm. um my goals are a lot simpler right i just want to be in an environment where i feel people appreciate me i have respect you know i'm providing some value service to people um i realize that my goals are much simpler when i strip them down from all of the sort of trappings of success Mm. and and i i and focusing on those things, you know, to me is freedom. Mm, that's wonderful. So any last piece of guidance that you want to uh, tell our listeners and then you'll tell us when we can find you and, um, you know, uh, find more about you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's, that's all I would just say to anyone. If you're dealing with 
student debt, no matter if it's 10,000 or 100 or even over $200,000. Um, just get back to you, you know, focusing on yourself, your life, um, because you do deserve to think about those things. You don't deserve to put your life on hold and punish yourself because you have student debt. Mm, that's wonderful. Thank you. So how can people reach you, Stephanie? Yeah, um, if people want um, to reach you. So my website is called youarenotyourdebt.com. And my book, Buy the Avocado Toast, How to Crush Student Debt, Make More Money and Live Your Best Life, is for sale on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Target websites. Cool. Um, and then, yeah, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as You Are Not Your Debt. Cool. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for your time and for sharing your wisdom and your yes. experience and everything else. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you so much, Francine. It was really an honor. And my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. The show notes of this episode of The Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelly.com slash podcast. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash podcast. With all the references shared on this show and other relevant resources as well. If you enjoy this podcast and want to show your love and support, Share it with your friends and colleagues on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you hang out, because this will encourage me to keep bringing you an awesome show. So, and make sure that you subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the app where you are listening to this podcast. So you don't meet any episode and leave me a five-star review as well, because that will mean that a lot of other people can see this show and it will help me spread this message to many, many more people. So I will see you next week for another episode of the season seven. Until then, dream, act and make an impact. Lots of love.